0: I have a perverse side in me. Hi, and welcome to Conversations with Scientists. I'm Vivian Marks. Just so you know, this is not an X-rated podcast. You just heard a comment from neuroscientist, Dr. Eve Martyr from Brandeis University. She studies how neurons and circuits of neurons work to generate behavior such as walking, or swimming, or food digestion, and how the circuits change over the lifetime of an animal. For much of her work, she studies lobsters and crabs, specifically the 30 neurons of the stomatogastric
1: ganglion. I often tell my people that they should go ask the crab how it does it right, because the crab knows the answers and and I worry that I say don't fall in love with your own ideas, just ask the crab.
0: You will hear more about the crab and about the brain in this episode of this podcast called Conversations with Scientists. Today, it's about brain models called organoids. Just first, ever so briefly, about this podcast. In my reporting, I speak with scientists around the world, and this podcast is a way to share more of what I find out. This podcast takes you into the science, and it's about the people doing the science. You can find some of my work, for example, in nature journals that are part of the nature portfolio. That's where you'll find studies by working scientists, and a number of these journals offer science journalism, such as pieces by science journalists like me. Okay, back to Dr. Martyr. I spoke with her ages ago about organoids and using organoids to study the brain. In talking to a neuroscientist, one way to get off on the wrong foot is to ask them about the mini-brains in the dish on their lab bench. It's not that the blob in the dish doesn't somehow look like a piece of living tissue that could be a piece of brain, or that this blob isn't relevant to studying the brain. It is. Organoids are grown from stem cells that were coaxed to become neurons. They differentiate and grow into three-dimensional objects. And these objects are becoming more complex and more dynamic in labs around the world. Some labs are connecting organoids to one another and making assembloids. But these are not mini-brains in a dish. They are a model of the brain. Actually, according to Eve Martyr, they are a biological theory. I think the
1: only way to think about organized in my mind, is to think of them as biological theory, in a sense. We're doing, because what you're doing is you're constructing something which is not the same as the real brain. But if you do it extremely well, and if you ask the right questions, that might lead you to, to insights that could lead you to do better or more insightful questions in the real brain.
0: Theory in biology, as Eve Martyr has written in one of her columns in the journal eLife, is what she calls disciplined dreaming. The discipline aspect comes from, as she points out, the challenge of creatively marrying the rules of mathematics and physics with what is known of fundamental biological principles. So how does this connect to organoids? I noticed that some stem cell researchers and neuroscientists had quite disparate views of organoids,
1: so I asked Eve Martyr about this. There are many experimentalists who distrust theory in general, and there are because they think theory by definition is not real. Um, and then there are many people who misunderstand the role of theory because as far as i'm concerned theory is to suggest new ways of thinking rather than to replicate what's what's already known so and i wrote a piece a little piece called theoretical musings that i can send you which is about theory i think there are some analogies between the reactions of the experimental community to organoids which shares, it's not quite the same, but it shares some of the same features of the distrust between people who are really studying what actually is, and people who are trying to build things to gain insight to how things might be. Because I think the only way to think about organized, in my mind, is to think of them as biological theory. In a sense, we're doing because what you're doing is you're constructing something which is not the same as the real brain. But if you do it extremely well, and if you ask the right questions, that might lead you to, to insights that could lead you to do better or more insightful questions in the real brain.
0: The real brain is hard to study, especially for scientists who want to watch and learn from the developing brain of a person. After all, a fetus is growing in his or her mother's belly and cannot be observed or perturbed. And to understand neurodevelopmental disorders, for example, physician scientists are eager to understand exactly what might be going awry in those early phases of development. So maybe organoids are perfect to study the brain as it develops.
1: I have a perverse side in me, which is why I still study lobsters and crabs and things like that. But that perverse side of me, which I'm very proud of, finds organoids extremely intriguing. And then the conservative neuroscience reductionist in me still believes that they're made up. So that there are things you're going to see in organoids that may be not terribly useful in terms of understanding how things work in the real brain. And there are other things that are going to be revealed in the organoids that could open up whole new lines of investigation because you see something you never would have otherwise imagined. Uh-huh. And so in that way, and I'm perfectly capable of maintaining two, two belief systems, which seem to be mutually consistent at the same time. I learned that from my mother who was very able to always do that. But I I think both are true um, in the sense that organoids tell you a lot about the potential of biological materials and cells, but they are not going to tell you how the actual brain did it. They're going to tell you potentially could give you insight into many of the fundamental mechanisms, but the way those fundamental mechanisms are called into play during normal brain development might be different in important ways. So and possibly unpredictably important ways. Awesome. So I think it's a fabulous thing for people to do. And it should be thought of in the same I think in the same way that I think really good theory is incredibly instructive and revealing in neuroscience because you can do in theory things that you could never actually do experimentally. And likewise, with the organoids, there are experiments you could do that are not feasible in the same way in a normally developing brain. As scientists
0: embrace these multiple sides to their scientific personality, they can consider how and when they might use organoids. For example, for anyone looking to develop treatment of neurophysiological or neurodevelopmental disorders, the answer might be ultimately about drugs. Perhaps organoids are a great way to test drugs for all sorts of brain disorders and could be a boon to pharmacology.
1: Here's Eve Martyr. Part of me believes very deeply that all the pharmacology that we need to do should be done in human cells. If you're looking for therapeutics, for someone who's interested in therapeutics for human physiological or neurophysiological neurological disorders, I would rather see all of that pharmacology done in human cells, whether it's human slices, whether it's organoids, I I just don't care. But I'd rather see it at human cells and I'd rather see it as close to physiological temperature
0: human cells for potential treatments okay Some researchers are looking into fundamental principles about how the brain works, and organoids might help them do so. But they will need to be careful about the conclusions they draw. And they might be thinking about taking their findings and eventually applying them for therapeutic purposes. With that goal in mind, when they are studying a research organism or when they use neurons from animals, scientists need to be extra careful, says Eve Martyr.
1: You know, there's a real puzzle in biology, which is how do you know when you've come across a really fundamental general principle? And how do you know when you're studying the idiosyncrasies of a particular species or a particular part of the brain or a particular neuron or a particular whatever? And so the really, really best intuitive scientists are very good At having a sense that, yes, they're studying a particular part of the brain in a particular species, and yet they can suss out or articulate the general principles, and other people are trapped by the idiosyncrasies of their preparations. Now, one of the places that more, less than perfectly instructive work has happened is at the real level of pharmacology. You know... Drugs do different things in different species. Drugs do different things in different cell types. Drugs do different things at different temperatures. Drugs do different things at different pHs. So in thinking about therapeutics, if I were thinking about looking for a new drug to work on a calcium channel for a human, I would really like it tested in human cells. Whether it's human slice cells or human cultured cells or organized or whatever it is just because if you're gonna give a drug to humans, you should know what it does to human cells. And I don't really care what it does to mouse cells. And I don't really care what it does to rat cells. And I certainly don't care what it does to mouse cells measured at 20 degrees.
0: When using cells or organoids, for Eve Martyr, it's about being mindful, watchful, careful about these conditions when hunting for fundamental principles that might one day be part of development of a therapeutic. Experimental conditions can vary from lab to lab and might vary from experiment to experiment. But scientists will want to try to make these conditions as stable and consistent as possible.
1: Yes, experimental conditions make all the difference in the world. So the, so organoids done with human tissue, at least have the advantage that they're human. I mean, they're not a human brain, but they're human. Some researchers, such as
0: the lab of Sergio Pasca at Stanford University, construct assembloids and link organoids together. They might, for example, stimulate a motor neuron to make a muscle twitch in an organoid in the lab dish.
1: There are a trillion ways to build a circuit to do X. And if all you're looking for to make the muscle twitch the fact that you've got a circuit that you, when you fire some piece of with the muscle moves tells you nothing about the organization of the circuit in the animal. That's where I'd say you have multiple solutions. You've just found a solution that will do that. It doesn't tell you anything about the organization of the circuit in the animal. And if he really wants to understand the spinal circuits in the animal, he's got to study the spinal circuits in the animal.
0: An organoid seems to give scientists compelling access to a developing brain. And perhaps organoids can help a lab find out something new about neural development in the brain. Some scientists say findings from organoids will be insightful about the real brain, but others are skeptical. Both sides are true. Here's Eve Martyr.
1: There are things that you're going to learn studying from organoids that maybe you don't have access to. In people. But once you think you've understood something new, you, you, in a sense, have to be able to go back. Now, could you find a new fundamental principle? Absolutely, I would hope so. Could you do a manipulation that will cause you to think about some fundamental problems in new ways? I hope so. But is the way the organoid does it the way it happens in utero? I eh, don't, uh, maybe, maybe not.
0: When using organoids, there might be a temptation to believe that findings transfer to what is happening in the human brain, say, during pregnancy. Researchers could indeed find something new and something important about neural development.
1: So that's what I'm saying. I'm capable of maintaining what looks like mutually inconsistent positions at the same time. I am not going to tell you that organoids aren't going to tell you anything about neural development but I'm telling you that, you know, if you're lucky, you're gonna learn something completely new, which then you have to go back and see how it plays out, how that mechanism plays out in normal development. And, you know, the organoid is not a brain. It's not a developing baby. Things are not timed the same way. Yes, you have access to the components, And yes, you're making tissues and layers and this and that. And it's, if you're really clever and ask the right questions, you will learn a lot about tissue formation. But it doesn't tell you that that's the way it's actually happening. That's why you have those two, um, you know, conflicting points of view. And you'll have people who will feel very strongly on the one hand or very strongly on the other hand, and they're evangelical on both sides, but actually both are true. And the real key is to force people to be scrupulously honest about what they think the new principles are that they have learned. And I really do think if you're a really clever, intuitive person studying organoids, that you're going to discover things that we didn't know precisely because you have access. But then you have to figure out how those things play out.
0: Labs will have various approaches in the ways that they use organoids as they explore any number of questions about the brain. In her lab, Eve Martyr does not tell her team to definitely use organoids,
1: or to definitely not use them. Usually when someone in my lab wants to do something, I say, oh sure, try it, see what happens, right? Um, And then, and I would also like to say that almost everything new and wonderful we've done was because somebody in my lab either did it without asking me or told me after they did it or mentioned that I should say sure and then I forgot about it and they did something and they saw something. So um, in honesty, Most really good senior scientists um, benefit enormously from the creativity and the initiative of their junior people. And their job is to encourage that and um, and not to tell those people what the answer that they should be getting is. Right? So, you know... I often tell my people that they should go ask the crab how it does it, right? Because the crab knows the answers. And, and I worry, that and I say, don't fall in love with your own ideas, just ask the crab, right? Because there's a difference between the way you think things work and the way they actually work. And you have to figure out how to extract that knowledge from the biology, if, that's, if you're interested in how the biology actually happens. If you're interested in, and this this played itself out in computational neuroscience and artificial intelligence, if what you're interested in is building a new brain out of silicon to do things better than the human brain, then you don't necessarily care how the human brain does it. If you're interested in building models to understand how the human brain does it or how the insect brain does it, then at some point you have to go back and ask, is this the way the brain actually does it? So both things are, you know, I, I'm perfectly comfortable with people who really are all about artificial intelligence and all about trying to build a new generation of intelligent creatures that just don't happen to be biological. And, and that's fine. And then there are people who want to use computational theoretical methods to understand the nervous system. And that's quite wonderful, but they too cannot be confounded. You have to, you have to be clear on what your, what your goals are. And I think, you know, in the same way, the organized people I think have to be clear what their goals are. And they may be a little fuzzy about that. They're probably not being careful enough to say, look, I'm studying the, the potential mechanisms and I'm seeing things that would be difficult to see otherwise and I, hopefully I'll learn new principles and maybe this will tell us what we should be looking for in naturally developing brains.
0: That was Conversations with Scientists. Today's episode was with Dr. Eve Martyr from Brandeis University. And I just wanted to say, because there's confusion about these things sometimes, there was no payment involved to be in this podcast. This is independent journalism produced by me in my living room. I'm Vivian Marks. Thanks for listening.